0: Hey everyone, welcome back to the Long Lines Podcast. This is the podcast where I answer questions from my YouTube community and just talk about filmmaking and YouTube. Today I have a special guest with me again, Nathan Swella. He's a filmmaker and YouTuber and a recent employee of Think Media. Is that correct? That is correct. Thank you. Yeah. That's awesome. Nate and I are going to talk about some things that we're looking forward to in 2023 and some Tips on filmmaking. So, yeah, Nate. I guess the first thing that I kind of wanted to talk to you about was this Think Media job. How did that all come about?
1: Yeah, it's it's something I didn't expect to come about. You know, I never thought of myself of being a Think Media employee, but here we are. So, this is kind of a cool story. As you know, as on the last podcast we discussed, you know, I was a you know cinematographer editor for a local production company here. And I feel like I need a little bit of change and I was, you know, kind of on the lookout for something, but I wasn't quite sure on what that was. Of course, people know that I'm a YouTuber and I'm super passionate about YouTube and filmmaking. So I wanted to, you know, as I was just kind of thinking on probably pursuing my YouTube channel a little bit more. And I have a friend who actually works at Think Media, Nolan Molt. Um, oh sick yeah local um not local but he's a um small youtuber and but yeah we've been friends for a few years now we just kind of chatted back and forth on instagram and he had recently got promoted to a creative director at think media and suddenly he put on a story we're looking for editors and i'm like all right i'm just gonna write this right up and just see what happens um and so there was a time being where i was actually working two jobs you know I was working for them you know doing like one video a week and then I was working my current job full-time so that was certainly an experience but I realized that you know I kind of I really enjoy the culture and the vibe they have at Think Media and there's also so much to learn from them yes I have been on YouTube and I'm a filmmaker and I think I have some skills in video editing but i'm already learning so much about youtube just being in that world in that environment 24 7 that you know there's a community there and i'm just experiencing like the second hand just all this knowledge about youtube so definitely gets me excited and i definitely want to apply these things into the new year going 2023 start off youtube um with a strong foot
0: Yeah. Well, that's awesome. I mean, to anyone who might not know what Think Media is, I mean, if you're a filmmaker or YouTuber at all, you probably do. It's a huge YouTube channel that basically focuses on content for content creators. Would that be pretty accurate?
1: Pretty much. Yeah. They they drive to have, you know, elevate your YouTube channel. You know, YouTube is a very hard thing, as you know, and sometimes you can feel kind of alone in it. And so I remember, you know, watching Think Media and just trying to the wealth of knowledge that's there, you know, I don't think many channels would be where they are without think media. So it's yeah. definitely nice to work for a company that's, you know, giving back to creators like that.
0: Well, that's awesome, man. Congratulations. And like, not only does that give you a lot of tools to use in your own channel, but I mean, it'd be cool to see you, you know, like rise up and, you know, become like a, an established part of think media too. Cause I feel like you probably fit in that there really well. Happen. Cause I feel like, I don't know. Dude, <laughs> it's not Dude, nothing
1: confirmed, but, um, I'll just say we've had talks about that. But um but basically I know that I want to for this time being, you know, serve them as best as I can with editing. And I, I know I really appreciate them their culture there. They definitely are God honoring as well. So I like that's yeah. something that's huge. I, I know for probably you too, but yeah, you know, to have like that. Like I earlier we had a conversation, Sean and I, and you just discussed yeah, actually, our vision is like much more than just helping YouTube creators. That's part of it. But, you know, we want to do that through um, Bible-based teachings and, you know, rise yeah. up. And I'm like, all right, that's a good sign. <laughs> I'm on the yeah. right path. I, I think I made the right decision.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's super encouraging to see people like Sean who are like so successful, but they're also like they're not shy about their faith either, which yeah. I think is really cool.
1: Yeah, That's awesome. absolutely. Yeah, definitely. That was a driving factor. I realized that. You know, I think more people, even just on YouTube, like they're they're not outright about that in every single video, but just Mm -hmm. the fact that they are doing this and giving back, I think that is honoring in and of itself and something I, you know, want to be a part of, even if it's, um, you know, temporary. Well, I don't know, you know, how long this journey will be, but I do feel very confident about this. So I'm, yeah, Yeah. I'm all on board.
0: Yeah, that's awesome, man. And I feel like you probably, I mean there's a lot of like really good creators who are part of the Think Media team. But I feel like, I don't know, like you kind of like, almost bring a little bit more of like the traditional filmmaking aspect Mm. to it. Like, or at least you could if you were like, you know, if you become a little bit more uh, involved in like the video creation, I think that you could, you know, bring a pretty interesting perspective on that too. But that's really cool.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think I do feel the same way. And I kind of expressed to them some of my skills. Obviously, you know, I've been a DP for you know production companies. I I do know my <laughs> I do know my stuff. So I'm yeah. um, like I wanted to put that on table. Like hey, like these are things I can do. Yes, I will help you in any way I can. Editing wise, and I'm skilled in that. But obviously, there's always room to learn. So I um, yeah, that's definitely something I would love to bring to the table. Nolan, my friend, he he's kind of in the filmmaking world and its in himself. And so I've seen where he kind of brings in some of that knowledge as well. You know, YouTube is a little bit different, but the more I've been on the platform, I realize there's still these storytelling aspects within YouTube and you may not realize it, but there are arcs in a YouTube video. (laughs) Even in a simple tutorial, you have a problem, you're frustrated, you solve it, success. That is a basic story. And little aspects of that, I'm realizing more and more that there is that traditional filmmaking which you know i'm super passionate about narrative films mm-hmm. and you know i have experience within documentary editing and with youtube as well so overall like these blends of different ideas all of our different attributes come together that's something that i think can definitely help the whole help youtube and help think media grow in the future well,
0: that's rad man Thank um you. one of the the talking points that i wanted to bring up was if there's any gear that you're looking forward to in 2023. As of right now, there isn't anything that's like jumping out at me just because I feel like just like the nature of my content too. Like I'm not really ever, I don't really have my, my finger to the pulse on like mm-hmm. the new stuff anyways. But for me, the only thing I can think of is I know that there's something at least it looks like there's something that might be coming from Panasonic soon. Oh. Um that would be exciting. I
1: love Panasonic, seeing... but they kind of been out of it a little bit, and so yeah. it's exciting to see I mean, you take the lead on that, but I I like to yeah. hear more about that.
0: Well, like I've just been hearing on like the rumor sites that like they might introduce some kind of like better face detection autofocus into one mm. of their cameras soon. I don't know if that's going to be in the form of like a new full frame camera. It seems really pre, like it seems really early to release another micro four thirds camera. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've been hearing rumblings about that. Uh, the only other gear that I have heard rumors of, and it looks like it's going to come, and this is. Just relevant to a Micro Four Thirds shooter, but this is something that I've been wanting for a while. Is apparently Sigma is going to be releasing some new primes for Micro Four Thirds. Okay, a fourteen mil f one four and a twenty mil f one four. Apparently, that's which pretty sweet. It's, it's still not like like I wanted like a ten mil, you know, because mm-hmm. you know like fourteen isn't really that wide because there's already a sixteen mil. But right. I really like those Sigma primes because I use like I use them a lot for my videos. So that's the only thing that like jumps out at me as like man I can't wait until those come out because they'll definitely buy the 14
1: yeah yeah definitely for sure I if I were to kind of maybe reinterpret your question I feel like the biggest thing for me like to get truly excited about because we had some great products coming out I think most recently the anamorphic movement is super exciting because if people you know are just getting into film and video now and they see these anamorphic lenses they may not think too much about it but even just like 5 years ago if you want to shoot anamorphic you got to get a normal lens you got to have a projector lens you got to figure out a way to mount that and then you're dealing with two focus rings and two focus points to make the shot work yeah all that is done away with these new anamorphic lenses that's like you know single focus you just t- put them on your camera and they look wonderful you can actually shoot them wide open i've actually shot a recent short film on the Surrey anamorphics. And man, yeah. just like the quality you're able to achieve from that is definitely just, it's unreal. And it, it, I feel so spoiled <laughs> to be in this generation where it's like, oh, we finally got this. But I feel yeah. like the next level to go as far as like, for me, it would be cameras, is just a more of a culmination of a more of a refined product. The biggest thing I would like to see is... And inside of these mirrorless bodies, we have mm-hmm. some form of ND filters, built in NDs. Yeah. Something like the FX6 has a electronic variable ND. And what that yeah. does is you can smoothly dial in between like one stop and like seven stops of neutral density smoothly. Yeah. Um, you know, the Black six Ks, they have the um two, fours, six stops, and I've used those, and that's great. But, you know, sometimes you have to do a dance between which ND you want. But I feel like having an electronic ND in a small body like this would just be amazing. And to keep autofocus working within that, I feel like that's the next camera I'm waiting for. Before I buy, like, a camera to upgrade my A7S III, I would want something equivalent and also have electronic ND within that. To yeah. really, like, I feel like that's the next major wave. And I think what Sony could do to get, you know, close there. Like, they launched the FX30 and the FX3. I think if they came out with a camera that's like the a7 so you can shoot 4K and then a Super 35 crop in, but give us some sort of ND inside. I don't care if you chunk up the body any. Go ahead, yeah. do whatever you need to do. But if you can charge even less than five thousand dollars that would be just an amazing camera and that that would be the camera I would want within this new year and it's it's totally doable but um yeah that's basically for me it's like I want a camera that has good indie good autofocus and just overall more refined what about you
0: well yeah it's funny you kind of you kind of uh, transitioned us into like the next question that I had was what filmmaking tool do we want to see mm. in 2023 like I like that idea of like a merge between like an fx6 body and like an fx3 something that's still like compact enough mm. but you know could give you internal nds uh for me I don't know cameras haven't really like there hasn't really been a camera that's like super excited me as far as like releases I mean there's a bunch of cameras that come out now and they're all insanely good right like there are like some software things that I really wish would mm-hmm. would come out like I don't know Like, I don't know anything about, you know, like engineering software, but like, you know how we have like, you know, film convert nitrate that you can just kind of like, you know, drag and drop it onto your footage and it emulates film. I always wish that there was some kind of plugin that we could just drag and drop onto any footage and it would just, I don't know, using AI would find our skin tones and make them perfect. You know what I mean? Mm, Okay. (laughs) I like that idea. (laughs) Just drop it, just drop it on there and it's perfect skin tones every time. You don't Mm. have to think about it and it'll adjust like it knows like what you know, like what ethnicity you are and it'll like, you know, fix your skin tones that way. I feel like something like that needs to come out because maybe it's not as big of a deal if you have a camera that just produces perfect skin tones every single time. But like if you're using a lot of different cameras and you just want to like perfect it, I don't know. That's, that's one thing that I wish would come out like in the future Because I'd buy that. Yeah,
1: well, I'm definitely going to geek out here. But I I recently have switched to Resolve. And in the latest update, they came out with a um, voice isolation plug. Mm -hmm. Um, Not a plug-in, it's just right into Resolve. And Final Cut has had this before. But, man, this blew my mind. Literally, if you imagine you're recording audio and there's, like, a lawnmower going outside or just some, like, AC vent, you literally just with one click turn it on and the ai will process the audio and it sounds like a podcast it's crazy how well it works and Dang. there are some little tweaks but black magic has actually fixed a lot of those recently but i look at a tool like that and i realize where was this because now i don't think i can live without something like this i've yeah. used it even for basic things like pulling youtube videos where there's music in the back how are you going to mm-hmm. get rid of that Voice isolation. You turn it on. You Hmm. just get their voice. I'm like, this is so freaking awesome. And I think there are so many tools like that. Like we're on the cusp and the technology exists, but it just needs to be adapted into these NLEs like for the masses. Um, If you look at the website Descript, I believe Mm -hmm. they have in basically this AI processing, you feed it a video or any like podcast And it will transcribe your video. So it'll give you all the text for what you're saying. You could create subtitles from that. You could sit down and edit your video like a Word document. Yeah. (laughs) And coming from, like, the documentary world, that's something, like, I literally have pieced together sentences just so I can get someone to say something in a concise and smart way. And so things like that, like having an automatic space remover, like, so... If you're recording a video and you look down, reading your notes, you go back up and you're you know, back on camera, it could yeah. really refine those gaps, cut it, trim it out. These are things that literally exist now, but yeah. to bring that into, I think it's totally possible within the next five years at least, maybe two years, that we get some of these things in just to make editor's lives just so much more easier and you know, you're all. We're already doing a lot of these. Like ninety percent of this is just re- repetition steps, and you just you yeah. know doing the grunt work. And if you know if an AI or an editing software can do that automatically, you know, I'm, I'm all in for that. So that that's that's yeah. basically my answer for like what would come in the yeah. hopefully the next maybe not year or so, but I I highly believe that that will come in the next few years.
0: There hasn't really been that much, like, hyped up into 2023, but I feel like there's probably going to be some, like, I don't know, there's probably going to be, like, some sleeper camera that Sony or Canon releases that's going to be, like, the new thing in 2023. I mean, it happens every single year, but it's just, like, those small things that just make, like, just that extra, you know, like, 5% difference in, like, making my YouTube life, like, Mm -hmm. easier, that, like... That's what I really look for, uh, what you were saying with that D-script thing. Like, just taking out those pauses. Sometimes if you go through your A-roll, like, it can take you, like, you know, a half an hour to an hour just to, like, cut it all down okay. to where, you know, you cut out all of the the ums and the likes and the, the dead space, you know? Mm-hmm. I be like... If you're not a YouTuber, you probably don't even realize it, but it's just like that whole process is like, it can be painstaking sometimes for a
1: 40 minute clip that you cut out. And then it's suddenly a seven minute YouTube video. Like there's a lot of just that, that could totally be solved, you know, with a, with a click and it, you know, runs for a minute, bam, it's
0: done. All right. Well, the next uh, talking point is you were saying that we should give our, give like three filmmaking tips. So I'm going to let you go first. I'm going to be curious if either of our three tips like overlap each other. What are your three tips, your three filmmaking tips?
1: Well, I'll start with the first one and maybe we can kind of go back and forth between them. My first tip, and this is a tip that I actually learned just this year. I was working in a new environment at my work and I was trying to figure out, you know, why isn't certain things I'm, you know, trying to communicate just not getting through or, you know, certain opinions or it feels like, I'm not being heard or listened to. And I was talking to a friend and he was basically explained to me, you got to learn to over communicate. And a lot of people, they don't communicate enough. And I realized this with even just my, my humble years working. I haven't worked (laughs) (laughs) in the working industry that long, but I've already, you know, come to learn that there's not a lot of communication that goes on. And even if you think you are communicating enough, chances are you're not. And so learning to over communicate and, yeah, it may sound a little tedious and you might even feel like you come across annoying, but the better you can understand and have clarity of what's expected of you and also what you're trying to express to someone really depends on yeah. just that first communication. And yeah. so one thing I kind of learned is sometimes I would feel like I understand them pretty well, but what's in my mind and what's in the other person's mind is still totally different. And by the time Mm -hmm. we get down the pipeline of a project, suddenly things are very different. And then there's like certain, you know, friction with that. So I feel like maybe one, one um, method you can kind of take into and maybe start practicing this is if you have a, you know, let's say you're discussing a project and I'm just going to use the example of a DP, what, how are we going to choose to light this? Are we going to go high key or low key lighting? Basically, whatever the conversation is repeat what you just heard to them like find a uh, find a good way to do this but like what i understand is that we want to light this in a low key way to create a sense of mood and drama is that what you're wanting um yeah. and just kind of ask that extra step that go over with a little bit more communication in order just to really confirm What's in your mind and what's in their mind is a little bit closer. And that still may not work for everything, but that should get you a little bit closer to better understand, you know, what the project is. So that would be my very first tip is just learn to over communicate because that will help the projects have a much easier flow down the line.
0: Yeah, no, that's really good. I think like I feel like your tips are gonna be way more, uh, <laughs> way more beneficial than mine. Mine are all like gear related, <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean, well, there we go. It's uh, a nice blend. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I haven't really been in any situations, probably like you have. Oh, I mean, I have, but like it's been such a long time. But I'm not like I don't find myself you know, like working on set really. Mm-hmm. Like I do very very small projects, and then I make YouTube videos. But the only way that I've tried. Like, the one thing that I have done that has, like, been really beneficial for me is when I, like, am working with people that maybe aren't filmmakers is I always try to do some type of, like, mood board or, mm-hmm. like, uh, treatment or whatever that's, like, in very layman's terms and not, like, filmmaker terms. So I can send it to them and so they'll kind of get, like, an idea of, like, okay, this is what, like, this is what he's trying to do. So I love that
1: idea because what, what that also is saying is people understand People learn differently. Some people are more visual. Like I am certainly one of those visual people. You may describe to something to me in a concept, but if there is a lack of visuals, it's really hard for me to fully understand. And so sometimes you might be working with other people and other people are getting it, but maybe one or two people aren't because maybe they're not, you know maybe they need a visual to better understand something so i love different approaches and like you said even in layman's terms because then you're really simplifying it to you're not using fancy words you're just really have a clear message of what you are looking for and i think that's the best you know method to go to go by
0: my first tip i like i don't know if the way that I wrote these out, they don't really seem like tips. They just seem like statements, but that's right. uh, it's that your light modifier is way more important than the light itself. Mm. And I think that's one thing that I see is a lot of people, that's like one of like the biggest questions that I get is like, hey, is this light good or which light should I buy? Yeah. What's a good first light? And most of the time I'm just like, I mean, the difference between like my Godox ML60 and a Godox SL60 and like an Aperture 1000, like the Amaran 1000 or a 100D or whatever it is, like the difference is so, so small that like, it's really not going to matter that much. Like there's like subtle, you know, a quality of light and color differences in those lights. But what I think is like one of the biggest things is your modifier. And I'm a huge, like I talk a lot about like the Fotec soft lighter. That's what I tell everybody. Like, Hey, if you just want one lighting modifier, that one's going to give you like the softest, most pleasing light. And it's like my favorite one. So that's like my first tip is that like, just get whatever light you can afford. The Godox SL60 is great if you are going to be in a studio and you don't need anything battery-powered. Just like the cheapest or, you know, like the best one that you can afford, but turn your attention more towards your lighting modifier because that's what's really going to make your images look the way that you want them to look. And if you want them to look like, you know, like my A-roll stuff, I've been pretty happy with the Fotec soft lighter. And I mean, like mm-hmm. most softboxes will do a pretty good job, but I always like that the light bounces from the reflective umbrella, and then it bounces back through a yeah. layer of diffusion. and It like double diffuses it. It's so like a I just feel like light. It, yeah, yeah. It like it breaks up all the lighting particles really, really nicely, and it just kind of falls on your face. So that's my first tip: is basically just get a Fotek soft lighter and don't worry about mm-hmm. your light too much. <laughs> well, that's what I
1: like about your channel: is like you can show there's different ways of using gear, and mm-hmm. it's not so much about you know like you said the light but the modifier and the placement of like like know what you're doing with the light and i'll i just want to point out this one thing is i've literally went to the dollar store picked up a shower curtain for a dollar 25 it is now it's not a (laughs) dollar (laughs) anymore yeah and a dollar 25 yep and i um i've used that on commercials literally um (laughs) when we we would have like a proper six by six frame but the diffusion material, whatever came with that, um, it was a certain level of diffusion, but it wasn't quite soft enough for what I want, or it's just like there's it's too bright. I want to, you know, dim it down. I literally yeah. just take two clamps in the shower curtain, clip, clip. And man, like it just breaks up the light so beautifully. So for a dollar and twenty five, you can get some incredible soft quality of light. And it's not so much about like, yes, like I could have, you know, used another you know, a proper Chimera a scrim gym to get that. And I think that's, that's kind of the thing is like filmmaking is really just like rudimentary gear. Like sometimes we get, we get involved thinking, well, I have to have a professional version of this, but literally yeah. there's foam core on sets. There's two by fours and yeah. you know, you, you can use a shower curtain if that's what you yeah. need, you know, put trash bags on the windows to block out the available light coming through. I mean yeah. that's where I was like I I love that side of filmmaking. And it's like back in the day with Andy Mogul it's like that was the real core of it. It's just like yeah. there are these things you just do. It, it's it's all a puzzle and you know you don't have to worry about spending the most expensive thing especially, you know, if you don't have any money, you know, you can just yeah. learn the principles of lighting most importantly and then start experimenting practicing with cheap stuff. Go to the Home Depot, grab a clamp light. Well, here's the thing is you Are so, I don't know what the word is, like not spoiled, but you, people, like filmmakers now have such an advantage of literally an Aperture 100D for $170. It's so powerful, and you just need that one high quality LED light, and you don't have to, you know, go out and necessarily DIY something like that. So I think that's like incredibly appreciative that we live in a time now where the gear is so affordable to everyone. And you can literally just pick up some stuff and then go to Home Depot and just DIY the rest of it. And it's, you know, exactly. start practicing the principles. Don't worry so much about which light you want to use. Get one, you know, find one used, whatever you need to do. And, you know, yeah. just start learning the principles because that's what the stuff truly matters.
0: Well, cool. What's your what's your second second filmmaking yeah. tip?
1: Next one, my, my next tip is to value your personal projects. I think people want to get caught up they they want to obviously you know filmmakers need to earn money so they will look for jobs to earn money. and at start, you're literally just doing whatever you might even be working for free just to get some sort of portfolio. but you can easily get caught up in the work side of things that you forget to work on a personal project. and I would argue that's you really need to value that and because the thing is, when you're talking to people, whether it's on set or just other people ask you you know, what you're working on, you may not want to tell people, I do wedding films. Now, no disrespect to wedding films. I, I like to work yeah. on wedding films. I love the storytelling aspect of it. But let's say you want to work on music videos and what you need to show is it's easier to show people, hey, this is something that I've worked on and or this is what I'm currently working on. I have concepts for this because then people are going to be interested in in what you are passionate about and so you may be working with client a maybe let's say you know they have a wedding and then suddenly he's a you know content producer and maybe he does music and suddenly he finds out that you want to do music videos well there's a collaboration right there and yeah. st- stuff like that happens all the time so always value your personal projects. spend the time um, you don't have to have a huge budget for those things, but take the time and the energy to keep towards a personal project and to really show people, yes, this is what I want to do. This is, you know, my label on it, because once people find out that that's the stuff you work on, well, it's going to be a cycle where you now put out this one thing and people find that interesting and that will lead your work to where you ultimately want to go. So that would be yeah. my tip. Value your personal projects. Take the time to spend that. And as we go into the new year, this is probably one of the times that you can actually do so is think about those projects for the next year, plan out whatever time you can and just do something small, even whatever it is. But not only for the sake of leading to more fulfilling projects, but also as a creative outlet. Because you can easily burnt out if you are not loving what you do. But I think if you work somewhere where maybe you don't fully love what you do, but you can go back and you can start scripting something that you're excited about, it will reinvigorate you and keep you excited about other work as well. So I think it's healthy overall to value your own personal projects.
0: Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I think that I forget who said it, but it's like, you have to make the work that you want to do in the future. So it's like, you know, if you're constantly shooting weddings and you're only putting that out there, you're probably only gonna get hired for weddings, you know. Mm-hmm. But it's like if you want to shoot midi- like if you want to shoot music videos, you might have to like do some personal projects, some some free music videos and get those out there. Cause that's what you really want to do, you need to like, you know, build that portfolio up. And that's something that like I've really been wanting to double down on is you know, do a lot more personal projects. There's this photographer uh, his name is Joey Lawrence. And he basically built his whole career off of going out in like these crazy, like these crazy locations and making like these, these uh, portrait series. And it like led him to be like, he's one of like the biggest, like a high fashion portrait photographer out there now. And it's just like, okay, you know, take like skateboarding, for instance, like if I really want to be like a, you know, a skateboarding filmmaker and like do that more then I'm going to have to like actually start doing my own personal projects, which I'm hoping to do in the next coming year we'll see but yeah no i like that and tip it's hard
1: especially you know if you have a family to provide for but i think i would just yeah. encourage you like it's that's why it's even more important because as you go down that road you're going to realize that no one's going to ever have more time you know so yeah so yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. you got to start now and especially for those young people just getting into it like how i was just like spend the time to do that then where you know even even if you don't have a job, if you're in school and you're listening to this podcast, well, welcome
0: aboard. But you know, yeah.
1: just do whatever you can to start working towards that. If that's something you truly want to do, you know, don't waste time.
0: Well, uh, my next tip is to is to don't sleep on using LUTs for your monitor. That's something that I kind of like. I don't know. I didn't really think about that much, but I've been using custom LUTs on my video monitor for like these last few projects that I've done and it's been insanely helpful for me because it not only helps me like expose better and you know get my my white balance like dialed in perfectly it also kind of like gives me a little bit of a a feeling of like what the video is going to look like Uh, recently I shot this little uh, running sequence with my buddy Jake and it was not only helpful just to like expose for that whole sequence but when I was like showing it to him, he could kind of like see that like the colors weren't just all like washed out and gross because I was shooting in log. So there are so many like cheap monitors that can do it right now. I mean, I just did a review on the OCT5 Plus, which is like a bright monitor that's also cheap and you can put LUTs on it. And so that's just something that I've been using recently that like has just been like the forefront of my mind. Like, oh, the Olympus camera that I use, it allows you to like put like a Rec. 709 display over like the log stuff but it never looks that good. And I don't even know why Olympus provides it because it's horrible when it comes to exposing. I'm always underexposing for it because it like brightens it up too much. But yeah, that's my really simple tip and it might be like super obvious, but you know, don't sleep on using LUTs on your monitor, especially if your camera doesn't provide it. I know a lot of the Sony users are kind of spoiled because they have LUTs basically built into their cameras. At least I know the FX3 and the FX30 do. I don't know if your A7S 3 does, but... I think it, it doesn't have
1: where you can import LUTs, but it does mm-hmm. have like at least a gamma, like it will correct for the S log. So it looks normal. Yeah. So that's definitely yeah. helpful just to make sure, okay, well, this is what it will look like. It's not going to be overexposed or underexposed, but the a is super flexible. So yeah. even if you're a stop over, stop under, it's easily, you know, fixable in post. Yeah. I would say to your point, like, yeah, that's, it kind of goes along just like you know, when you're working on a team and make sure people have monitors or whatnot. I think that's the biggest thing. Like I've worked with several monitors and, you know, the color doesn't look right. right? And yeah. the exposure looks flat and it's just like it's gross. But I actually I notice a lot of people, like, they don't typically complain about it, but I'm always kind of iffy because I know what I want it to look like. And then if I have a client there seeing a washed out image, I don't want them mm-hmm. to think that's what it will look like but fortunately a lot of people understand that yeah it's gonna look a little bit you know like that but um yeah that's definitely important just and i don't know about you but sometimes i find like just having a nice monitor on your rig and just with a nice LUT, you feel so much more confident shooting just because yeah. you get that immediate reaction oh yeah it looks amazing yeah. sometimes when you're filming and you don't have that or you're looking on a tiny tiny screen you kind of like is this you know focused is it properly exposed and you're don't get that initial feeling from it until yeah. later when you post it up, um, you're a post-production and you fix the colors like, "Whew, yeah. <laughs> it looks yeah, good. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. So I've, I've had that feeling. <laughs> Using zebras. Like I've been yeah. experimenting with just like, uh, turning my zebras to 70. And then when I see them on like, my face or whoever i'm filming i'm like okay that's roughly 70 IRE so i just need to like you know tweak it a little bit so that like my skin tones are going to be there right
1: what i do with the A7S3 is i set it to 40 IRE and then i grab the gray card and just make sure that this is ah. has the zebras so it's like yeah a uh, makeshift false color so until oh, <laughs> until sony can give us false color in the cameras <laughs> that's a tip yeah. if you set your zebra level to 40 just grab a gray card and then you're, you're properly exposed but what your method too is seventy IRE for your skin tones will get you. It's basically the same thing. Yeah. Although your face is a gray card.
0: Well, cool. Well, what's your? Is this is, is this the last? Yeah, last that's tip? the last tip. All so right. I have mine your, than what's yours. What's your third tip? So All my
1: right. third tip is to have many income sources. Don't rely on one. And nice. the best example of this is if you were to build a coffee table with one leg, that thing is going to tip over. Yeah. If you build it with two legs, it's still going to kind of tip over. It might stand for a bit. Three legs, well if you're in a tripod situation it will work, but <laughs> if you have four legs you're better off. So yeah. have think about that in terms of multiple sources and you know, especially if, you know, when we have these situations, you know, in the past couple of years, it can be often reliable to have, you know, one income source and being fully reliant on that. So think about having Multiple ways you can generate income, and so a yeah. couple of ideas for that is maybe you do have your nine to five. Well, that is one, but you're always at risk of you know being let go or something happens, and yeah. you know you're out, and that would be an incredibly sucky situation. Yeah, but if you go from there and you think about okay, I want to do a side hustle, and if you can put in the time and effort to make something like a YouTube channel, then that is a second way of generating income and then from there once you can become like a creator or something like that you can not only rely on the adsense but you can rely on affiliate marketing that's a second income source then you go and you maybe you build an audience and now you can do a patreon that's a Mm -hmm. fourth income source um you don't have to stop there you can create digital products and sell those once people they're looking they're requesting for other stuff You can combine a nice course or create digital LUTs and sell those. And there, you're at five income sources already. And maybe you take the odd freelance gig every now and then. Then there are six income sources. So try to think about building as many income sources. But I would also hesitate to um, do keep a focus on what you're you're doing. Do keep an energy because sometimes you can spread yourself too thin. So be be careful of that. But just think about other ways you can generate income. And it doesn't have to be necessarily within the YouTube niche. Maybe you can hit up garage sales on the weekends, buy mm-hmm. stuff, flip it on eBay. That's something yeah. I did some when I was, you know, twelve years old. Um, you know, buy use sports equipment, you know, trade it in at, at play it against sports, sell yep. that and Obviously, like that that's that's something, you know. Even if you make a hundred bucks on a weekend, that might be just enough to help you get a bit further. So that would be my main point is just don't rely on one end consorts and try to figure out how to get as many others just in case when you know when those legs get knocked down, you can be still standing.
0: Yeah, no, dude, that's a great tip. And that's something that like has been a huge thing that I've had to focus on being like a YouTuber now, is like I think I have like seven or eight income sources. Like some obviously yeah. are gonna bring in a lot more than others, but- And you don't know.
1: neglect the small ones either. No. There was something, um, a friend told me about, hey, you can actually sign up for multiple Amazon stores. So not only the US, but you could do the UK, yep. Germany. But yep. the thing was that was tricky about that is you would have to apply multiple links in the description. But mm-hmm. if you use a tool like Geniuslink, you know, it does cost a little bit of money, but I think it's yep. like- Three dollars for like five thousand clicks, that has well paid for itself. I'll tell you, just because you know you get random ones like from Canada or U.S. and there's an extra hundred dollars randomly. So don't even neglect the small little income streams that you can do. That's easy enough and maybe takes an hour to set up, but then you're Mm -hmm. you know that's that's money that you're missing out on.
0: One that, like I haven't really like dived into, but it's like another way that like I know that a lot of uh, filmmakers who have you know, pretty nice gear, make a little bit of extra side money is just like renting out their gear on share grid or something like that. So yeah, there's a lot of different options. And if it was like all of my, my revenue streams were running dry, like I would be flipping stuff on eBay. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, I do that right now with camera gear, mm-hmm. like, pretty you know, much, I'll yeah. buy it, like I'll buy something that I know. I mean, sometimes like when I see like a GH4, that's like, you know, the bidding is at like, you know, 185 dollars and there's like two hours to go sometimes i'll just bid and if i win it then i'll just resell it you know what i mean like yeah because i know that i can get like i'll just take better pictures of it and i'll get you know three or four hundred bucks out of it you know what i mean yeah that's something i
1: definitely kind of did earlier when i got started now like i don't mess around with it as much but even still i I try to be frugal what camera gear i buy so mm -hmm. instead of buying a camera brand new I will often buy used to save a couple hundred dollars, or yeah. and then and then after I use that camera, I might be able to recoup most of my money or make money from it if you sell it. Yeah. So you have used a camera, nice camera, for a year or two. So if you can yep. pull off those numbers, it's I, I find that like a fun game to do sometimes. Just yeah. like, well, can I, mean, I buy this
0: for cheap, and can yeah. I
1: flip it and make money? That's the whole exactly. Thing.
0: Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, and even if you take, I mean, you know, because. Because you and me are YouTubers, too. So it's like, say, you know, I mean, I just recently did this with that GH3 that I did a video on. Like, I bought it for, like, a 100, I think it was, like, 200 bucks or something like that. Wow. And I made a video on it, which is making me money on YouTube. Mm -hmm. And then I sold it for more money than I paid for it. You know what I mean? So it's like. And that
1: content is evergreen and will live on. And it's going to generate you know money while you're sleeping so yeah it's stacking on top of that which is yeah basically that's the point
0: (laughs) yeah exactly my last tip is obviously another another gear related tip but this is something that i don't know if you've noticed this but there was definitely a craze for like mist filters in the past Mm -hmm. year like the past couple of years everyone was using mist filters Mm -hmm. and i've kind of come to the conclusion that you might want to hold off on the mist filters at least Unless you have an insanely sharp sensor, like the Sony sensors are pretty sharp, and I feel like they benefit from mist filters. But mm-hmm. I almost feel like looking into a filter like Glimmer Glass is almost a better mm. investment. Uh, sometimes they can be more expensive. Like I'm pretty sure Tiffin is the only one that makes that type of filter, but I feel like. The problem that I'm seeing with a lot of people using the mist filters is that a lot of them just bring up the shadows too much and it starts making your shadows look a little bit too muddy. Whereas the glimmer glass will keep your blacks, you know, Mm. nice and black, but it'll still bloom the highlights a little bit and still give it a little bit of that creaminess. That's something that I, I guess that's a tip that I would say is like cool it on the mist filters, but if you really do want that blooming of the highlights still, to give yourself, you know, t- t- to give yourself a little bit more of a look, than a look into like a glimmer glass filter. I know that people like Maddie Hapoya also use the black silk. I think by Tiffin. I have never used that myself, but glimmer glass is pretty easy to find, and it's not too expensive. Yeah, uh, I like that. It's like a hundred bucks.
1: Tiffin has a great resource where they have video examples showing without filters and filters. Yep. And, yeah, there's a ton of filters that I have not even heard of. Like, there's, like, bronze filters, warming filters. Yeah. Filters people are not talking about. But I personally am experimenting. I have – right now I'm shooting this video with a, both a ProMist but a soft effects filter. Oh. What a soft effects does is it gives you the um, the softness of the skin, but it tries mm-hmm. not to bloom the highlights so much. Yeah. So it's just the softening. And then um, the ProMist – and why – I, I do like the Pro Miss a bit better. I looked at other, you know, cheaper miss filters out there, and you're right. It just raises the black level way too high, and it just yeah. it doesn't look too good, but the black Pro Miss does a better job of controlling those shadows and giving you a tighter, like, you know, glow around the highlights. Yeah. So one tip if you notice this and you want to fix it and if you already have the filter is you can go into post and you can lower your black level down, So get back that contrast, but now you have this kind of mystical, like lower shadows, but it still has that contrasting punch. I love the look of that. That just looks really, really good. I will say, so definitely experiment with different kinds of filters, but if you are on the cusp of, I don't know if I want one or if, you know, whether or not you can actually just make one, grab a UV filter. You can grab um, a bottle of hairspray. And if you were to spray the hairspray like up in the air and then just take the uh, filter and just kind of waft it, wave it into the mist, you'll create like these little specks of <laughs> hairspray just all over on the lens. And that will create basically, that's basically what a mist filter does is it'll create these little dots. So yeah. you can apply that and you can get different levels and try to figure out what look you kind of want just to see how well it looks. It's not. As good, but that's just one method of oh, I want to, I need a miss, you know, a mistiness to this, but you don't want to spend the money. Then you can definitely try that for free.
0: Yeah, because UV filters don't usually you know, bring down the sharpness too much. Like if you do have a camera that isn't like insanely sharp already, like I'm just thinking of like, like an M50 or Mm -hmm. something like that, where it's just like, you put like a cheaper mist filter on like an M50, it's going to look really, really soft. But Mm -hmm. like if you just take a UV filter, waft it in some hairspray, it might actually retain some of that sharpness that a mist filter might take out because the people who are making these mist filters are trying to like soften it up a little bit. Even when you might not want that, if you have a softer camera,
1: but or just pick up a vintage lens and you're off to the races. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the other thing is like I think more and more we'll probably see is just like you can apply these mist effects in post. I believe mm-hmm. there is something like Dehancer that um, yep. will allow you to kind of. I think it's more like recreating film stocks, but basically you can soften up in in post. I do have a free trick for that as well. Like you can take adjustment layer, apply some Gaussian blur to that give the adjustment layer slight S curve and the contrast and Mm -hmm. then take that whole adjustment layer and lower the opacity down to your tasting. And that will kind of create a softer kind of image. And yeah, like that will kind of give you the trick if you've, you know, already have shot footage that doesn't have a mist and I can kind of create a more interesting thing. But I, I like the practical effects. I don't want to necessarily have to rely on my computer to do those things and just bog down my timeline. So I'd rather just, you know, shoot with it.
0: The way that I did it once was I singled out the highlights and I kind okay, of like masked out everything else and then I just like blurred the highlights and then just mm-hmm. put it on top of the footage. So like I just like recreated the footage but just singled out the highlights and blurred that. That's probably more that controlled
1: method to do it.
0: <laughs> yeah, like that's it works, but I mean, again, yeah, like I like I like practical stuff way better than doing it in in post. Well, cool hopefully those tips were beneficial for my audience listening to this podcast. I definitely feel like what you provided was definitely probably more what people needed to hear. <laughs> like, I just like to talk about gear too much. So that's just where my mind went. But I that's appreciate it. all your tips, because those are things that I need to like, remember, too.
1: Yeah. And those are stuff that basically I kind of learned within the past few years, and this has been on my mind. And when you suggested, oh, just pick three um, tips, I'm like,
0: yeah. I got him. I'm ready to go. <laughs> yeah. that, was my, right that was
1: the most of my prep time, and right yeah, I was all ready to go. So, yeah, I'm, I'm glad. I hope that is beneficial to people. And of course, I'm still learning. I'm not an expert yet. I'm just kind of learning as I go. And um, yeah, I'm definitely. You know, I am younger, so I know that there's certainly lack of experience in terms of just real world applications. But these are kind of things that you kind of, if you don't realize, like it just happens because you know, you're, if you are younger, then you're just going to have to experience this sooner or later. But if you can take these like words of advice, hopefully that gives you a little bit of leg up as far as like knowing you're not crazy. You know, you, these are things that you just have to stumble across and learn and yeah. know that, yeah, you can definitely put a leg forward and try to be, be more communicative, um, uh, value personal projects and just make sure you have, a backup of whatever income sources you have to just keep going on to the path that you ultimately want to go, and that's what that's basically my encouragement. Is like I want people to not feel like they have to stay stuck, but if you do feel stuck, you know probably this is the time to really take that and go for it. And you know you don't have to be at the position you are forever, but also yeah. you know be patient be patient with yourself in the meantime. That's yeah. basically what I would love to say to you know everyone here.
0: Awesome. Well, Nate, thank you so much for yeah. coming on to my podcast again. It was awesome getting to uh, t- to chat with you again. And I'm stoked to be closing out this season of the Long Lens Podcast yeah. with a returning guest, and I'm definitely gonna be uh, hitting you up and. In- uh, having you on again next year for sure
1: yeah um, let's say January 5th how's that sound <laughs>
0: <Just kidding. laughs> yeah dude <laughs> you'll just be a co-host at this point he oh, will just be yeah. my co-host I, mean, for the long I love it podcast.
1: I mean the podcast format is a great way to express these ideas so yeah thank you yeah. for having me
0: no absolutely well thanks man and thank you to everyone who uh, tuned in and listened to this podcast episode this concludes season one and I will see you again in January for the start of season two Yeah. Thanks again for listening and I'll catch y'all next time. Bye.